Good morning. Welcome to the Long Live Alternative Parties podcast. Free Press Media Press Inc. and Alternative Parties Books Publisher sponsors this podcast. I'm Andrew Bouchard. Welcome to the Long Live Alternative Parties podcast. Friends, today we have another exciting guest who's here to share some interesting ideas with us today. Her name is Grace Alice Barber, and she's going to talk to us about her political views and the way she sees the political spectrum and the way she believes things should be. So welcome to the podcast, Grace. Thanks, Andrew. You're giving me a little too much credit. I don't know that I know how everything is supposed to be fixed, but I'm never short on opinions. All right. We'll take that, Grace. So <laughs> if we can get started by kindly giving us an introduction to yourself, a brief biographical sketch. Okay. Um, well, I am a city girl. I grew up in a working-class Philadelphia. And I wound up going to college out in a small town, and I'll circle back to that. Um, And now I live in a small town in Western PA, um, raising some kids, running a a little Facebook page called Stuff in the Middle um, for moderate centrists and nice people. It's about politics and just sort of finding that more nuanced view in the center, which most Americans find themselves in politically. And, um, yeah, but I do have some history with sort of – Changing parties and looking at things from a different perspective, um, I was raised pretty conservative. I wound up going to Hillsdale College, which um, some of the listeners may know about because it's a big conservative college now. It was 20 years ago when I went to. Um, but as things have become more polarized, it's definitely um, taken its place further on the right than it was at the time that I went there. Oh, my. And, yeah, so – um, that's where I came from, and then I got out of college, and I got married, and I went to graduate school and had some children and started to encounter all kinds of different people and developing a more nuanced view of what um, the average American needs and, like, perspectives different than my own, and then coming up to, like, 2016 um, with that election and things becoming increasingly polarized, I became aware that there were many people like me who had very complex views on things like abortion, gun control, um, just the, the big political um, sticks that tend to get beaten, people used to be, beat each other with. And there's, it doesn't always get represented in the two major parties. And sure. so I just started this cute web page where I, I shared moderate news, just especially when there were like moderate candidates that won or um, just showing people that that does represent a big swath of a, the American voting public. And then memes because, you know, that's how you manage to cope with the day-to-day. And that's how you found me. Yes. <laughs> I'm also an election judge, so I've chosen to put a lot of my efforts as a, as a citizen into helping with the actual electoral process and making sure that voting happens and that um, people get to exercise their rights. So. Well, that's a lot of great stuff for a conversation yeah. to build on. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's everything. <laughs> so how – let's – Let's start with your background with okay. election. Can you tell our audience what you learned from working with the election board and doing elections and how that applies to your political views now? Yeah, um, it has been a very eye-opening and really a heartening experience because I think for a lot of people, their experience with politics is people just sort of yelling at each other and what gets shown on TV. And so my experience working with elections is you have people from a variety of different parties all working, working together to um, make sure that the elections run fairly 
and that everyone gets the opportunity to cast their vote. And that has really shown me how Americans can work together, even if they have different political views. Um, and also it's given me great insight into how the practical aspects of voting work. Um, and I, I, have a, I have so much confidence in that part of the system. And that that really has buoyed me through some very, I think, really difficult political years, uh, you know, otherwise, is knowing that there are all these people working really hard to make sure that we can continue to have elections and fair elections. That's great. So how did you end up at Hillsdale College exactly? Was it some was it something with the? Because you said you came from working class background. Yeah. How did that go? How did you get to Hillsdale? Was it something the major or somebody you know someone from there? How did that happen? Um, you know, this is a great story, and Hillsdale loved it at the time. So my father was a letter carrier, and he used to get the imprimis. Like he would see the imprimis come through the mail where he delivered mail, and he was like, "What is this college?" And so he became really interested in it. Um, and, um, at the time, you know, you're a young kid and you're very impressionable. I was kind of following in my dad's, um, with his political beliefs and I really felt it deeply. And so I was like, this is a great college. It's very conservative. At the time, it was not explicitly Christian. Um, so I thought it was a great, like sort of the only option in terms of being conservative and not specifically religious. And so I went there with this full expectation I was going to go into law. Um, I remember my first semester I was I was with the college Republicans and I did a literature drop and um, yeah it's sort of as soon as I started to see sort of that inner workings of how the political parties started to work especially on that sort of grassroots level I became sort of more and more disenchanted I stayed there because the education is fabulous um, lots of great books and just learning from history which I think is really important and informs um, an understanding of the world, because if you don't know where we came from, you can't really understand how we got here. Sure. What did you major in at Hillsdale? I majored in art, oh. um, which, I mean, that was on purpose. They have a, they have a fabulous art department. Um, but that happened because I decided I did not want to go into law. Um, but, yeah, so I majored in art. I was a painter, um, figurative painting, and it was uh, it was a really good place. To, to be for that. Um, so, yeah, I've always been kind of a creative. Um, yeah, I'm not, so it's sort of, I've taken a winding path in my life. But, yeah, that's what I majored in at Collins. So has art informed your political views in any way? Yeah, no, that is a really interesting question um, because art is has been historically used as propaganda. Um, yep. It also, um, you know, there's a, Art and uh, politics are closely entwined because you can follow art through monuments and, like, those sorts of things um, to kind of see where the value system is. So, I mean, yeah, I guess I get re it really has because the, knowing art history and knowing what's going on in the art world is often reflective of what's going on in um, politics or what, what did happen politically at the time. Sure. Yeah. Um, I can go into more, oh my gosh, you know, I, it's sort of funny and this is kind of a tangent, but, um, I, for example, when I came, when they put up the World War II monument, people asked me, you know, what I thought of it. And so that I had to explain, you know, when you take art and you put it before a committee, things become, it's harder for art to be done by a committee because you, you have to make everybody happy. And that's very reflective of how our political process works, you know, like that you're trying to take all these diverse, very nuanced opinions and make this thing. 
at the end that's trying to satisfy everyone. And like sometimes the outcome is not always that great or that clear, you know? So yeah. Um, yeah. So it is, yeah, there is some overlap between politics and art. Wow. That's a good, that's a good metaphor you have of those when you have to make the memorial and please the committee as to what happens in the democratic process. So it makes Mm -hmm. me wonder, is it a good thing or a bad thing that you have to please everybody in politics? You know, I don't know. That's um, because it, you can't please everyone. Yeah. And so often what happens is it's the loudest or most powerful voices that get what they want. Uh, one of the things that I'm really interested in is, you know, some sort of um, like election reform. And they there's a statistic that goes around that says, like, no matter what the American public wants, no matter the amount of support among the American public, only 30 percent of those things become any kind of law. So you could have like zero percent public support and there's still a 30 percent chance that it'll become law. And you can have 100 percent public support and there's still a 30 percent chance that that thing will become law. Um, you know, so it's like you can't really please everyone. So there is some sense in which people have to, I don't know, take the lead and, and um yeah, have some sort of idealism or ideal that you're working toward. And so, yeah, and you can't decide everything by committee because then it just winds up being this kind of, yeah, sometimes the outcome is not great <laughs> that way. So technically, it's possible to have too much democracy. I don't know that there's too much democracy, but it does help to have a sh- like shared values and to also defer to experts. Okay. Um, but we're talking about the, the upper workings of government as opposed to the average voter. So I'm, like, more interested in, like, the average voter. And so we're trying to pick people to represent our ideals and then hope that they, you know, take those things and do what's best for the country. So I don't know. I, doing things by committee, I think, is really difficult. So I do give some credit to Congress for, you know, the amount of difficulty that performs, you know, that is involved there. But, yeah, I mean, it's such a complicated process with all kinds of other influences going on. It's not just yes. about the American people. It's, you know, lobbyists and, you know, political action committees and stuff. So, Sure. So kindly tell our audience how you define your terms such as moderate and centrist. Yeah, that's hard because as soon as you start pinning it down on things, it's, people are like, oh, well, that. You know, well, that's a liberal idea or that's a conservative idea, which I found difficult while, you know, keeping up the web page because sometimes I'm like, I want to share an opinion. And I'm like, well, as soon as you say something, are you no longer a moderate? Um, But I think the most um, indicative thing of a moderate is that they don't fit very well into either of the two major parties. Or maybe they have things that could be represented by either side, but not in its entirety. So, and, And I think especially because there's a lot of nuance. So if you take something like abortion, someone will have a very nuanced view of that. Like, well, certain circumstances or for me personally, or I'm concerned about if we make this legal or that illegal, that you're going to have other people that are um, caught up in that, like that there are unforeseen consequences to that. But like, if you were to listen just to the two major parties, it's like all or nothing, you know? And so I think that a lot of times what moderates and centrists are, are people with nuanced, complicated opinions in the middle that don't feel like that they can, um, that they're well represented by either party or because they have issues on that one party represents for one thing, but not for others. So that's where I would put a center, someone who just, it just feels very stuck in the middle. Sure. So did I hear you earlier that on your page you highlight moderate and centrist candidates? 
I haven't gotten the specific candidates, but like, so I okay. don't, I'm not endorsing anyone. However, like when there's a win um, for a moderate candidate or generally when it seems like the moderate voters have um, had a um, strong turnout and influence the way an election has turned out, I will post those articles because I think people need to know that it's not just this big fight between two major parties. There are people in the middle and sometimes they belong to a third party and sometimes they're just independent, you know. Sure. At least half of America views themselves as an independent, um, either belong to a small party or none at all. And I think that because the two major parties are so loud, people often feel lonely in that center space. And so I mostly my page is about reminding people, yeah, you know what? This is a majority of Americans. We're kind of stuck in this middle place with, with complex views on things. So since you mentioned election reform, yet at the same time you said you are a big a big advocate of our voting system because you worked in that field, what reforms would you want to implement that would make the people doing the good stuff be able to do their stuff better? Sure. Um, so uh, I really love – there's a, a great um, organization called Represent Us, which – Okay. I don't know if you, you should go talk to them sometime. Anyway, they sponsor the American Anti-Corruption Act, and so they have many things in this act that they're trying to get passed on the state level so as to put more pressure on the federal government. I mean, one of them is gerrymandering. Uh, so a lot of people are always really confused, like, why is my district in this funky shape? Well, it's in that funky shape because they are trying to, you know, cut up especially urban areas and attach them to large rural areas so that the, so the urban vote is diluted. So I'd like so it's things like that that I really um, am interested in. So and ending gerrymandering, I, um, I I do wish that there was a more uniform. Every state decides what their election process and laws are, and there is a there is like a an overarching organization where many states have 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 sort of agreed to a certain format. But I would love to see that nationwide so that, like, wherever you go in the country, people can have the confidence that the system is the same everywhere um, and that you could, that it's very transparent. So, like, anybody can volunteer to be an election worker, and you can see the system, and you can see all the checks and balances. But I would love to see that's something that the average American is aware of um, and, like, it should be taught in school. And, yeah, so that it's just a, something that Americans can have a lot of confidence in the voting system and finding a way to bring that information to the average person so that they feel confident about it and know, know that, it, that, that it's very secure. Sure. So for people who would like to be an election judge or otherwise work with elections, is it as simple as going to the Board of Elections in the area or what advice would you have for them? Um, yeah, all you have to do is contact your board of elections. Often at um, at your polling location on election day, there will be a sign up sheet, and so then okay. you're put on a list. And when there is an opening, they call you. And then there's training, and it's usually just a day, um, maybe two or three hours at most, and you learn all the procedures. It's not complicated. Um, it's just a lot of um, like checking and double checking. Uh, it's counting, and then this is actually kind of funny because in Depending on which state you're in, like for Pennsylvania, an election judge can be appointed or they okay. can be elected. And oh. so my um, my election poll workers with me decided it'd be really funny to write me in for the election judge so I could be officially elected. 
instead of just appointed. Because often it, there's no, nobody in competition, so they, they just get appointed if they have an empty spot. And what I didn't realize, though, was once I was officially elected, I had to supply campaign finance information. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, I've done nothing. It was like just my just the four people that, you know, sat on the board or in my polling location with me. Um, but that was it was kind of amusing. Cause, and I'm yeah. glad because, you know, that we have rules and we have laws. And, you, like, if you are elected official, then you need to be able to show them, you know, how you spent your money to get elected. And in my case, there was no money. But, yeah. I didn't anticipate that, but it is a very it is a very simple process. Often those positions are filled, but when there is an opening um, and they need someone, yeah, they'll call you. And that's what I did. I just signed up for, you know, every time I went to, to a polls until they had an opening and eventually wound up as an election judge. Okay. So election judge is the person who's on top. So if somebody wants to otherwise is, – is, how many election judges do they have in, you know, this, in the area? This is, well, this is going to depend from state to state, too. So. Okay. In um, Pennsylvania, the person that is in charge of a precinct is called the election judge. Um, right. I know I have another friend who's an election judge in um, Maryland, and every person at the precinct is a judge of something. So oh these are just kind of titles. Um, I've already forgotten your question. I'm sorry. <laughs> it sounds like you're answering it because I'm. Our audience might want to know for to to be an election judge is is. Versus how that's different than being a poll worker. You're saying that in different areas, everyone who works in the polls is a judge. In some areas, it's not a judge. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's just a, it's just a title, and so it depends on where you are, um, what that title is called. What is called? Um, yeah. So like in Pennsylvania, every precinct has one judge, and that's the judge of elections. And then they have, but everybody has a title. So there's like a minority. Um, inspector and so so we have it goes down the, the line in terms of like the people that are in there they all do have official titles oh wow so yeah. they get titles yeah no it, it sounds very fancy even though it's not <laughs> but it's supposed to give some confidence so for example in an ideal situation i'm an election judge i belong to whatever party the minority inspector who would be the person immediately under me would be from the opposite party or from a different party than mine so there's supposed to be some sort of um, reassurance there that, you know, that, that there is no bias or whatever. Though sure. we don't, I mean, in, my, in all the elections that I've worked in, we don't really talk about politics, which is funny to each other. We're not supposed to, but also we're there for a specific joint cause. So we're all there yes. doing the same thing. And that's, that's great. I think it's awesome that we're all working together regardless of party. Yes. So that's a way that you avoid conflict is not talking about politics. I mean, well, we're not supposed to because we don't want they don't want anyone else overhearing us. But also, we just I I think because our main goal is to make sure that every voter that wants to vote gets their to cast their vote. Like we're, we're excited in common to have that that goal. So it doesn't matter what your what your party is because everybody's sure. there to vote, and that's beautiful. So voting as an exercise in and of itself is the goal of everybody there. Yeah, yeah, to make sure that it runs smoothly and that all the numbers add up the way they're supposed to and that we don't lose any ballots. And it's a, it's a very tight process of accounting um, and, okay. and, like, and checks. And so that's our goal, so that at the end of the day, every single ballot that we've given out is accounted for and we have all the numbers and everything's been closed properly so that we can pass that on to the election office and that's how our election system works. And there's like every election, there's like literally in this country, there's 800,000 people just like me making this thing happen, which is amazing. 
to think about all those people doing that same job just to make sure that everything runs smoothly. It's beautiful. Sure. So are the requirements basically the same as being someone eligible to vote or are there additional requirements? You can talk about Pennsylvania because, like you said, it might vary from area to area. You know, there's not. I think you just have to be um, registered to vote, and I, I, I think it has to be in that county. Um, I'd have to okay. double check on that, but like I have filled in in precincts that are not mine. Right now, I happen to be the judge of elections in my particular neighborhood, which is so cool because I get to see all the people that live around me. Um, oh. But yeah, there's there's not a lot of requirements. You don't have to pass the test or anything. Not in Pennsylvania. It may be different elsewhere, but I don't think that you have to pass the test. You just have to go through okay. the training. And, again, it's not complicated. It's just a lot of making sure all your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted. Have you had any humorous moments in elections that you can share with our audience? Um, we have this cute little old guy that comes in every time and announces that he's going to vote for Truman. Oh. <laughs> and I love that. It's the same joke, and it's beautiful. So I absolutely love seeing older people come to vote, who, especially when they tell me they haven't missed an election in, like, 50 years. Yeah. Um, and I get really – I remember the first time I had um, an immigrant come who had gotten their citizenship, and this was the first time they were getting to vote. And that made me really excited. And, of course, I always get excited about young people. Every time someone's coming to vote for the first time and they're, like, freshly 18, I'm just like, yay! Um, yeah, so, I mean – I, I'm trying to think if there's anything really silly other than that guy that always comes and says he's going to vote for Truman, which <laughs> makes me laugh every time. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, there's, there's adventures, too, because I'm not in our precincts, but we've had precincts where they've lost power. So, oh like our, yeah, no, it's amazing. So we um, Pennsylvania has gone to a paper plus um, a, a scanned paper ballot. So there is a another so the paper ballots are all saved in, in in the voting machine to be scanned at a later time if the power goes out but they also have they're also they do keep power for a certain amount of time and can run for a certain number of hours um so they they plan for everything but they, it's an adventure i mean I, there's there's times and the whole point is you keep the you keep the precinct open as much as you know as long as the place isn't burning down you make sure, sure that people can get in to vote sure so what would you say would be the biggest Biggest issue you had to deal with at a poll successfully? Uh, the biggest issue I've had to deal with to make a poll. Um, so the 2020, Okay. Uh, you know, there was a lot of mail-in ballots, and they do yeah. a very good job of keeping track of that, which I know was something that a lot of people were concerned about. So in our poll book, it would say if the person had been given a mail, sent a mail-in ballot and whether or not it had been received. And if it hadn't been received and they came into the polling station to vote, we had to keep track of that. So they either had to submit, give us the, the ballots they had been sent back, or they had to vote provisionally because what would happen is after the election, they would double check to make sure that person hadn't voted twice. So that they hadn't sent in a ballot and then tried to vote on the same day. So keeping track of that was a, was a challenge. Um, but we did a good job. We didn't have any problems with it. And like, I was really happy because like we had a procedure for that. Everybody was so worried that, um, people would try and double vote or try and play the system. And it's like, no, we had a procedure for that. You know, we, we, there were checks for that to make sure that that didn't happen. Um, so I would say that was the, that was the most challenging election, especially when they're really busy and there's a lot of voter turnout. Sure. Sure. That's good. That's reassuring that you were able to overcome that. Yeah, no, and like I'm, I'm very impressed with all the people, even you know above me, the 
the head of elections in, you know, the county that like does do the work and count the ballots and yeah, that process, they are great people. These are all people that just want to make sure that Americans can exercise their right to vote. That's good. So a lot of people are saying our election system and our politics are getting more polarized as time goes on. Since you operate a webpage for centrists and moderates, would you say that's accurate? I think the system appears that way because okay. um, because the people the, it's the loudest voices, right? So the loudest voices are very polarized. And I think that the polarization is causing there to be a lot more people in the middle. Oh. Um, I, I mean, I really do. I really think that the, the, the people that are like, this is too much. So I think that the um, majority, especially as the coming generation, is much more centrist. Um, or at least they're not affiliated because we used to th- people didn't think of centrist. Centrist was like a bad thing. Um, but no one wants to be on those extremes. Very few people want to be on those extremes. It just seems like they do because it's, those are the loudest voices. So sure. I find it makes me laugh because my um, people that start following my page, you can always tell when an election is coming because people are out oh. there looking for like, is there some alternative to this this dichotomy of extremism? Sure. How would you respond to people who would say that centrists and moderates are wishy-washy? They're in the middle. They're not taking a stand on anything. They're indecisive. How would you respond to people that would characterize them like that? Well, I think um, I, I think it's a, it's a shame, um, and the the problem is it's much more easier to fight with sort of um, a, an easy to pigeonhole ideal of a type of of this type of person or that type of person. And so when you get into the moderates, because their views are so nuanced and tend to be complex and sometimes even conflicting, or maybe they don't have one yet. Maybe they haven't figured it out. It's just too messy, and they're still thinking about sure. it. I think that. Um, people tend to give them a hard time because it takes a lot more work and careful listening to understand where they're coming from. And so I always laugh because I'm like, if you're a centrist, you're probably making both sides mad at you. Yeah. And I I actually take some amount of pleasure in that sometimes. I'm like, oh, watch me make the liberals and the conservatives mad at me at the same time. Um, Because, yeah, because you're not – and and because there's a lot of – Political campaigning to get elected, they the people in the middle are frustrating because they're not just swinging and aligning with one side and then guaranteeing a vote. You know, they're 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 in the middle trying to figure stuff out, and they may have um, they may vote for one party for one race and not for the other, or vote for a third party, and that's just not convenient to the powers that be um, in yes. the major parties. So, I mean, I think some of that is just because they don't like those moderates because they're they're harder to pin down. You have to work hard and have a nuanced opinion to get their vote, and that's hard. That's difficult. So it sounds like the moderates, because of the complexity and nuance of their positions, they're, it's harder for them to have the sound bites that attract attention like the other candidates. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think so, and I think that also makes it um, – I don't want to speak for all of them, but like uh, you get third parties and the third party, of course, has to have a platform. And as soon as you start to nail down, we stand for this, this, this and this and this, you know, as a moderate, you're like, okay, well, I stand for this and this, but not that and that. And so, like, do you um, do you say, well, okay, I'm going to throw my lot in with them because I support these other things and it's an alternative to the three, to the two major parties that are being super loud? And then does that feel any different than throwing it in with one of the major parties where you only agree with two out of four things? Um, sure. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think that is challenging. And this is why I love, I only learned, recently learned about the idea of ranked voting. And so I oh, think yeah. that's great because that gives that, that option. You know, it's like, okay, well, for this particular election, for this, you know, for this race, I, I really like this person, but and then you can rank down. Um, so it's not like you're just fighting. You feel like you have to side with one party or the other to make sure that the, the lesser of or the greater of the two evils doesn't get elected, which I think a lot of moderates, they feel like they are, they have to choose a side because, because we're dealing with the lesser of two evils as, as often as our options is what our options are. Sure. What I've heard from ranked choice voting advocates that we've had on the podcast and elsewhere, they believe ranked choice voting makes the system less polarizing because the candidates are, they need to accommodate the people in the middle who may be missed in the winner take all elections. So their right. campaigning is more sensible and more moderate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it would be great if we, judge the candidates based on their performance rather than the sound bites. Um, I always laugh. My husband makes fun of me because I live in such a small town that we will often have local candidates still come door to door to meet you and talk to you. And I always make them work really hard. And I'm always a little skeptical of the ones that lead with the sound bites for a certain party because I'm like, you are a local candidate. What are you specifically doing for our area? What are the issues that we're dealing with as a, as, as a borough or, a, you know, a state? As opposed to like this is our these are my feelings about the Second Amendment. It's like mm, I don't think you're going to be making a lot of laws about that. You're running for borough yeah. council. <laughs> <You know? Yep. laughs> yeah. Interesting. So with moderates, the it, when you're in a party like we were talking about, you're saying the moderates have difficulty because they agree with some things and other things. And I've noticed that in the case with me, whatever organization I'm in, whether it's a labor union, a church, a political party, there are things I may not agree with, yet at the same time, I want to be a membership of the organization. So what would you say to people that feel conflicted sometimes, that they wonder whether it's selling their soul to stay involved in the organization or whether they should change the association, the organization while in it? How would you make that decision? It would it, when you want to have a moderate approach to things? You know, that, that's a good question. Um, I think that's all up to people's personal discretion because okay. there are times when, like, perhaps there is a third party in your area that you really feel like you could do a lot of good in and you don't agree with anything, everything that they say, but they're doing some work that you think is important. And so you choose to hang your hat there um, even though you know that, like, we're not always going to agree about free with that, everything in a, any organization or institution that we're a part of. Um, but then there are times when people just want to go solo. I mean, so that's really going to be about your, you personally. So for me, I've decided to throw all my energy into working in elections, um, okay. as opposed to, like, necessarily working with a third party or with an advocacy group like Represent Us. Um, but I, that really depends on what, you know, who you are and where you think that, you can best use your time. Okay. Um, so, like, you run a podcast. That's your thing, and I think that's yep. great. So, I mean, absolutely, if you really want to get involved in, like, a grassroots um, third-party organization, but you don't agree with ev any, everything, like, that's fine. If, you know, if that still feels like where you can best use your time. I think that's, yeah, I think that that's normal. It's like any family. You're not always going to like everybody in your family, but you're committed to that unit and making it work. Okay. 
So when when is the point when there's something so immoral with an organization that you can't be a part of it, even if you want to have different views? Uh, I mean, I don't know. That's uh, yeah. I mean, I guess that depends on what your where your morals are. Um, okay. For example, like I I was a Republican my whole life, and okay. after 2016, I decided to leave because I just I couldn't. I felt like that it was the, the the corruption level was too high, and which is not sure. to say I mean now I so we kind of joked in our household that we have a split household to cover all bases. Again, this is because we don't have open primaries. So my husband's okay. still a Republican and I'm a Democrat, and we get a big kick out of that. But mostly it's because we want to be able to try and pick good candidates, so we're not stuck with two terrible ones. You know, oh, so I we see. try to so, so it's like our, it's mostly for the primaries. But I've discovered that you know Democrats fight as much amongst themselves and have their own issues as anyone else. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think if if the if the corruption level of two major parties, which when you're talking about that much money, is almost inevitable, is problematic for you, like definitely, you know, either go it on your own or try to find some place where you can get to know the 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 people that are in charge better, and there's there's you know the the moral issues are something that you can live with. Yeah, I'm giving out life advice. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that that's perfect because I think this brings up. A key point for life is some religious organizations, people are very corrupt. I don't want to, I, I can allude to, there's one organization that's had a lot of scandals with mm-hmm. youth, yeah. predator, predator youth, and then some people are conflicted whether they should stay. I saw one video where the guy said, don't leave the church, leave the church. Yet other people feel if they're in that situation, they're contributing to the atrocities. Right. So it's a tough, it's a tough question. It is a really tough call because for a while I was going to stick it out. I hate bringing up the major, but I was going to stick it out with my party because, like, you know, I remember people like McCain. Like, when I was younger and more uh, more on the right, I, McCain used to drive me crazy because he was a centrist, <laughs> right? Yeah. And afterwards I was like, listen, this guy stuck with this party because he believed that he could make it better. And yeah. so, like, there is a sense in which if that's your calling, you may want to commit to a party and try and improve the quality from the inside. But then there's other times where you feel like you're just, by continuing to align with them, that you are also aligning with the bad stuff. So I totally understand that, and I think that that is a, a personal call. Um, but, I, I mean, assuming that the person that you're talking to about this is also a moral human being, I think that you can respect the choice that they made. Um, sure. But yeah, no, I, it is because I mean I've seen people like really beat each other to death over you know you've chosen that party or that party, and I'm like that's a lot more complex than that. Why people? Sure. Um, so you have to listen to what people say and not necessarily just the sound bites that you think that they're associated with. Sure. So what ways are good for encouraging this type of dialogue that you're advocating? Um. You know, this has actually been, I think the thing that really um, brought me to the center was you have to get to know people that are different than you and then with an open mind really have conversations with them and find out what their concerns are. I think that we're we're taught to be um, very reactive and very scared of 
see whatever the view is on the opposite of us. And so as soon as we get a whiff of this person doesn't necessarily agree with this thing that's on my side, um, we start to recoil and we're not starting to listen to the, the details. How did the, you need to ask people, where, how did you get to this point? Where, what, what informs your opinion, which is why your podcast is great. What informs your opinion that brings you to yeah. support this or not that? Um, what are your personal experiences that may have contributed to this? To, to your opinion, what do you think the solutions are to whatever issues? Because a lot of times we're, people are seeing the same problems, but they're coming up with different solutions, and they're fighting over the solutions. So, like, what sure. if we go back to the problem, and we discuss, like, what can we agree on about this, about the, what the problems are? And, okay, so from your perspective, the thing that creates that problem is this, so your solution is this. But I, my, from my perspective, there's something else that's contributing to the problem, so I have a different solution. So I think there's a certain level of civility that's really necessary. Um, and that's one of the, that's one of the big things about my, um, my webpage is why I call it, you know, nice people is because like you gotta listen and you have to have a certain amount of civility and respect for each other. And sometimes that's not possible. You're with someone who's just bombastic and they're not yeah. gonna listen. Um, but if you have two people that are thoughtful, um, and willing to talk. Like, I think that that's really, really important to developing a more nuanced view of the world. And people are not just their political parties. They're, they're human beings with very complex um, views of the world and opinions. True, true. So, Grace, how can our audience support you and your webpage, your Facebook page? <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm not making money off my webpage. I always like follows. Um, I love comments. Okay. Um, just because I think it's really important, like I said, for people to know that there are other moderates out there. Yeah. That um, that there, you are not alone in feeling like you don't fit in the major parties. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's what I would say the most. And I'm, I'm always encouraging people to investigate the our voting system better so that you understand how it works. Um, volunteer. If you have the time, um, yeah, do it. I, I think that it is one of the most enlightening experiences I have ever had. Um, and, yeah, just wow. be nice to these people. Have a sense of humor about politics. Most of it's really ridiculous. Like most yeah. of the people that you're seeing on TV and talking are absolutely absurd, and they don't huh. represent the average American. So, like, let's have some humility and good humor about um, what's going on and, like, really listen, um, listen to each other. And that's mostly what my webpage is about. I don't care sure. if you follow it. Just be nice to each other. <laughs> Acknowledge that everybody has different opinions, but listen so that you can become informed about what the other people around you are thinking. All right. I plan to put the the Facebook page in the show notes in case somebody is not able to see the show notes or they hear this without seeing them. Can you say the name for them one more time? Oh, it's stuck in the middle. Okay. And I think that's what it, I think it's stuck in the middle politics. Yeah, stuck in the middle politics. And uh, you'll know it because I, I took that quiz, you know, where you find out what, you know, what part of what quadrant of political opinion you fit in. And I took yep. it and I hit right in the center. And oh I was my. like, that's crazy. <laughs> and so I saved that. And that's the that's the avatar is that is that target where it's like right smack in the center. I'm making everybody wow. mad. <laughs> you are a bona fide advocate of your view. Thank you. And thank you for your work again. I just, I, I really appreciate it. I'm, I was tickled that you contacted me. I'm always glad that someone's paying attention. <laughs> awesome. Well, our audience, I trust, enjoyed hearing about your experiences and your viewpoints. Thank you. Grace, we wish you well in all your personal professional endeavors. All right. Thank you. You too, Andrew.
All right. Take care and all the best. All right. You too. Bye. Bye now.